This is Michael Coe from the Punk Rock and Politics Podcast, and you're listening to some of the best podcasts available on the internet, only on the No Phony Podcast Network. Heroes Garage, where we talk about comic books, TV shows, movies, superheroes, fantasy, science fiction. Every now and then we'll talk horror and crime noir. Mm. Welcome to the show, Eric. Oh, hey, Tom. Thank you very much for having me again. Um, How are you doing this fine day? I am actually doing pretty well. It is Mother's Day weekend. And so I have mailed the card to my mom, who lives in northern Minnesota. Um, and my wife and I have our, I put the plans together for my wife's Mother's Day celebration. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big thing that we're kind of focusing on this weekend. How about you, Eric? Yeah, you know, the same thing. Um, just going to be probably going over to my mom's house tomorrow just for some dinner and just hanging out, getting to, you know, really celebrate Mother's Day. And it's really nice. Like, I actually had the day off on Mother's Day because I don't always have the days off on a holiday. Mm-hmm. And so... When I actually do, it's like, oh, good, get to actually go hang out with the family. So that'll be really nice. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, just hanging out, playing video games, and watching some uh, NBA playoffs. Have you watched any games recently, Tom? You know, I have not. I am a bad – I have failed this city when it comes to <laughs> NBA playoff fan love. And this is going to be the most ridiculous rationale in the world, but I believe it. I love the Eddie Curry – Tyson Chandler, um, Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Bulls. I, I just, they never won more than 45 games. They kind of got in the playoffs, but it didn't seem like they ever did because they didn't do anything when they got there. <laughs> but I just like the brand of basketball. I like the way they passed around. I loved rooting for Eddie Curry. I'm not even from Chicago, and I sound like a Chicago guy here. And when, when that all kind of bit the dust and, um, Jalen Rose took over and Tom Thibodeau and that whole crew. I never really adored um, Rose's game. I felt like it was too violent and reckless for his the size of his body. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the kind of basketball that I loved. And it kind of fell apart. And then other teams that I had an interest in, I never really... I don't like those teams either. Like the, I kind of root for the Lakers a little bit. You know, everybody has a, a team A and a team B. Well, not everybody, but you have your home team. And if they aren't doing anything, you have a, a borrowed, adopted team that you kind of root for. And that team is not doing well either. And then their brand of basketball is even worse. <laughs> so well, that's my long-winded to... way of saying no. Well, I mean, just as, as, a, as a nice little tip, if you're living in Chicago, don't say you don't like Derrick Rose because he's oh, still stupid. like, I mean, I uh-huh. love Derrick Rose and yeah. he's like the same age as me. And so I got to watch him coming up, you know, ever since I got into college. And I still remember during this season when he played for Minnesota, he played a game in Chicago and he still gets MVP chance. And so I know, I know that's how much we miss him. And 
I can't think of a, of another player or another person really who has owned a city as who has owned the city of Chicago as much as Derrick Rose had, besides maybe Chance the Rapper a couple years ago. When since, literally, since Michael like, Jordan. <laughs> since I mean, honestly, since Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan was just different. He didn't just own Chicago; he owned like the entire country, and like like everyone watched Michael Jordan and everyone yeah. loved him, and yeah. that he was a different phenomenon in and of himself. But um. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry that you didn't necessarily like the Tom Thibodeau Bulls because they were they were fun to watch in different ways. So like right now, these teams are fun to watch because they just nail all they shoot threes. They shoot, you know, 40, right. 50 threes a game and it's just fast. And it's just fast. But Thibodeau's Bulls were just they were yeah. slow, methodical and they would wear you, they would grind you down with defense and hustle. And at the end of the game when it was, you know, the score was 80 to 79, they would get Derrick Rose to to just get like three baskets and win the game for him at the end of the game. I didn't like that. <laughs> that was kind of grindy basketball. And nowadays, I feel like you shoot three pointers and you shoot free throws. And there's no mid range game. There's no passing. You don't see any any kind of evidence of a run of an offense that's being run, mm-hmm. unless you have. From what I can hear, because I don't watch a lot of games anymore, the Warriors. I mm-hmm. think one thing that they do really well is they run these sets that open up their shooters, and it helps when you have uh, you know an all-star lineup, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't like that brand of basketball where you just have 53s a game or a, a dunk or a free throw that is missed half the time because they can't shoot free throws anymore either. <laughs> well, I mean, there's definitely a strategy to that. I think... The two kind of competing strategies in the NBA right now were was demonstrated last night. It was Golden State versus the Houston Golden State Warriors versus the Houston Rockets, yeah. and Golden State actually the big story out of them is they don't have Kevin Durant right now. He he hurt himself. I think it was near the end of the third quarter of, of Game Five, and they set an upper calf strain. But I watched it, and literally everyone else who watched it who has any idea on how injuries work, says it looks like an Achilles tendon, like tear or rupture or something. Uh. And if it is an Achilles tendon or rupture or tear, he's not only out for the playoffs, he's probably out for all of next season, which is just devastating to him and as like just, just basketball in general because he's arguably the best player in the world right now. And he was playing out of his mind in the playoffs. And it was really interesting because the Warriors had to play without him they had to beat the Houston Rockets last night, and they had to do it old school. They had to do it the way they did the their first, their when they won their first championship and then lost their, and then lost to the Cavs again. Yeah. It's it leveled the playing field, so now like all these teams have like a realistic shot of beating the Warriors, even though Steph Curry is still pretty darn good and Clay Thompson can be lights out when he can be. Um, I think is what a lot of people were saying is that. Without Kevin Durant, Golden State can win a game, and they did that. They won Game Six and beat the Rockets again. Um, but can they win a series? Can they win two series? That's the real question, and I think it's awesome because while the Bulls are my first love, my second love, my adopted team has kind of become the Milwaukee Bucks. And okay. nice. <laughs> well, like so, I picked them to make it to the finals. I picked them to beat uh, Toronto in six, I believe to yeah. advance and make it to the finals. But then I had them losing to the uh, to the Warriors, I think, in either five or six. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I think it's a pretty safe pick. But now it's like they have a real chance. Like the yeah. Bucks, the Ra- I, 
Well, the Raptors and the Sixers have a game seven tonight, so or tomorrow night, and that's going to be. I don't know how that that series is going to go because I'm expecting Toronto to win, but I just don't. I can't tell with some of these series anymore. I know, I know. That seems kind of like Toronto and what's in Philadelphia. Philadelphia has been on the up since they mm-hmm. had four consecutive number one draft picks, and <laughs> they're trying to so keep no Embiid on the team. floor. <laughs> what's that? I would say two of those players are no longer on the team anymore. Oh, okay, okay, that's good to know. Um, I mean, I mean that's the problem with tanking and getting number one draft picks is that you have. I think Derrick Rose to get some symmetry into this conversation. Derrick mm-hmm. Rose was a real, I mean, if you believe in luck, chance, in oh, yeah. the universe, higher power, he just fell in the bull's lap. And he also ended up being really good. He mm-hmm. was really fun to watch here. And it was frustrating because you knew he just wasn't the team, actually not him, but the team just wasn't quite good enough. And Philadelphia and Toronto have that kind of feel to them. Like you have uh, Kawan Leonard. He's on Toronto, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's a, a, a real st- – and Butler's on Philadelphia. He used to be a bull. And for a while, I, I affectionately gave Butler the uh, the title I'm not sure he ever earned, which was the LeBron killer. <laughs> <laughs> Because he had a good defensive game against LeBron James one one playoff game yeah. when he was on the Bulls. Um, but you look at those two teams, and if from what everything that I'm hearing, the Milwaukee Bucks just have too much firepower for those two teams. So that'll be interesting to see. That could be a little bit of a clash in styles too. How would you explain the style of basketball the Milwaukee Bucks play? You know, it's pretty interesting. It's almost. I would say it's pretty close to what Golden State does. So what Golden State does so well is that they have this this process where they pass the ball and they they have their game plan. And one of the things I noticed when Kevin Durant won his first ring with them is that he would score 30 points a game, but all of them were at the basket. He was dunking or laying the ball up because he was open. And the question is, how do you leave a player like that open when he's you know arguably the best ever? That's because they're passing it, they're kicking it, they're driving. And when you have three All-Stars, as of right now, two Hall of Famers with probably a third, no, no, yeah, plus Draymond Green, you it's impossible for a defense to guard that many shooters, that many players. And so when you just keep kicking it, when you keep running it, it's like music, just watching these guys play their game. And eventually someone's going to be wide open for a shot. Milwaukee does basically the same thing. The only difference is, is that instead of having a player like Kevin Durant who can shoot from anywhere on the floor, they have a person like Giannis who almost is almost unguardable at times where he can get the ball down in the post, he can get the ball at the three-point line, and he's going to find a way to make it to the hoop and dunk or lay up or something like that. And it makes it so that you have to guard him, you have to double-team him, which opens up all these other shooters. So they got Chris Middleton. They got uh, Nikola Mirotic. They got Brooke Lopez, who's a seven-foot center that they acquired <laughs> this year, who's nailing threes. Like, he's taking, like, seven threes a game, and he's, shoot- he's hitting, like, three of them. And it's just they also have a ton of weapons. Um, they have a little inexperience in the playoffs. That's why I'm a little worried about them going any deeper than they currently are. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, really, almost none of them 
have like real have been to the Western Conference Finals that get like any like actual minutes except for George Hill, I guess. George Hill is a point guard they acquired over the, this year, and he's played really well. And you know, Mike Bud- uh, Budenholzer is a really good coach. You know, he got I think it was forty-seven fifty wins out of a, out of an Atlanta Hawks team a couple years ago that had no real All Stars. And when you give him an MVP player like Giannis, who is still, I believe, only 24 and still coming into his own, and his game isn't perfected yet. This arguably is not his ceiling yet, which is insane to think about. Um, I don't know. It's It shows. It shows in the game one they had against the Celtics, where they came out totally flat. The Celtics just took advantage of him and beat him by, I think it was like 15, 20 points. You know, it, it happens. And the thing, if they, if they play Toronto... It's going to be kind of a bloodbath because okay. Toronto, the thing that's so good about Toronto is that they got so many big bodies. They got Kawhi Leonard, they got Pascal Siakam, they got Serge Ibaka, they got Marcus Saul. They have all these guys they can just throw at Giannis. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi is also playing out of his mind. He's averaging like 37 points a game, something like that. And so, oh, wow. exactly. And, which is why you'd think they'd beat the Sixers. But because the Sixers won game six, it's. You don't know what Sixers team you're going to get. Either you can either get the team that's lights out, that Joel Embiid is hitting everything and they're basically unstoppable, or you get the Sixers team that just can't, doesn't play well, gets bogged down, is tired, is hurt, and just can't ma- seem to make buy a uh, buy a shot. And that I think is is a maturity level with the Sixers and something that they should work out over the next few years. But you never know. Maybe maybe they don't. So. Well, That's kind I, of what I'm thinking is going to happen in the playoffs yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, and back in the day, it used to, unless the team was like the the Bulls with the Jordan's Bulls or the Magic's Lakers or Larry Bird's Celtics, where you play the game really matters. Like, but or you know, San Antonio, I think could travel and beat any team anywhere. Um, but some of these teams, they just play a little bit better. They're more comfortable with the rims and the wood at home. And sometimes that matters. Um, so that has been a little bit of our NBA talk. And we're going to transition, do a hard transition to our outline, which is going to be our outline today. We're going to talk about the Disney release schedule. There's some big news that came out this week. We're going to expand that conversation to a large, to a larger group of movies and look at the release schedule going out about two years. And we're looking at comic book and superhero release schedules, of course. Of course and then we'll, t- well, of course, yeah, that's what we do. Um, we'll talk a little bit of a preview of John Wick 3. Mm. And we will catch up on Endgame box office success. And our main event is going to be GOT Talk. And Eric will lead that discussion where he will review the last episode of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So Disney um, made a lot of waves earlier this week because we're all just kind of on the edge of our seats because Disney owns about 60% of the entertainment dollar right now. Yes. And they came up with a release schedule for both Avatar movies and Star Wars movies. So Avatar has been bogged down a little bit and there's been rumors and discussions about the next movie and when it would release. So they pushed Avatar 2, the release date, back to December 17, 2021. James Cameron, who owns that property and pretty much is creatively in control of that property, he blamed that 
they were very involved in the writing process. So <laughs> it was the creative process that has kind of held them back. But now they have a schedule. So, Eric, how do you feel about getting an Avatar movie every other year starting December 17, 2021 and going all the way to December 17, 2027? Um. I think the only way I will be really interested in these shows is if I have kids, they make these movies PG, and I get to go see them with my kids. Because as like a real dramatic, like like serious movie, I don't see too much attraction to it. Like I don't really care. Um, Avatar came out ten years ago, and that's how it, you really feel. <laughs> No, like when it came out, it was amazing. I was stunned by the visuals, by yeah, the yeah. graphics, the, the, the and not and just the epic of the story. Like it's yeah. a, it, it really was. Um, I guess I don't I don't want to say it was, it was a movie before its time because yeah. it's so much as it kind of defined that sort of genre, and yeah. but it's been ten years. Like what? What? Yeah. Like at some point, you, I feel like James Cameron and them got to cut the cord. And just go do something else. Um, I don't know. Before I get too 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 negative about it, I guess I should say that it's it is it'll be fun. I like most of the actors in it, and it's a it'll be a good fantasy story with like the solid sort of marine uh, aliens kind of vibe to it with, with that they had in the first one. Um, that was kind of the, the the best parts about the last movie, but um. Tom, how are you? So, Tom, do you have a more positive spin on it, or how are you feeling about this movie? Yeah, I um, I I tend to become fans of certain creators and certain properties, and I think that James Cameron, I trust him as a as a creative person, as a film. Um, I guess he directs, produces, and does all nine yards of it all. He he produced the best Aliens film. According to this show, right, we kind of had a debate about that. Um, he Avatar was wonderful. The Titanic, I, I mean, was a wonderful movie. He's done a lot of really good stuff. And so I, I feel like he's putting, obviously, a lot of energy into developing, creatively developing this story. Mm -hmm. He's really good at making these advanced technologically fantastical universes feel grounded and lived in mm -hmm. and i fully expect that this universe will expand it will feel lived in it'll feel like a society that's functioning in dysfunctional ways like all his <laughs> kind of societies <laughs> tend to go and i'm interested in it um they're gonna have to grab us with the first one because it's basically a reboot um, like mm -hmm. you said, it, it's been a decade, so they're going to actually have to. It's almost like a. It's almost trickier than a complete new movie because you have a bunch of people who are expecting the old to come back, but mm -hmm. then you have a bunch of people that want something new and different. They don't want the same story told again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a tricky balance. And. I, I trust Cameron, though, so I'm actually pretty hopeful for this. I'm not going to go on record and tell you right now that I'm going to see every one of these films. <laughs> um, I did that kind of earlier in the year. I told this our listeners that I was going to go see a bunch of films, and I really haven't. So, and But I can tell you that I really love this Avatar universe. Um, it's the last movie that I saw 
upwards of five times in the theater was Avatar. Uh, That's even all the Marvel stuff, all the Star Wars stuff. The most I've seen any of those movies has been twice in the theater. So <laughs> it's... I mean, I, I don't know. James Cameron, he must really be a persuasive uh, like pitch man because not only did he get Disney to green light, I guess, two, three sequels to a movie that came out ten years ago, but like they also got to invest in an entire section of uh, their theme park in yeah. like this Avatar world, and it's like I remember when they were rumoring about that theme park coming out, like even like five, six years ago, and it's like, oh, it's to a movie that came out in two thousand nine that people loved but didn't exactly isn't isn't super memorable so they clearly think it's a good idea and they're willing to disney's willing to invest a lot of money into this franchise which should mean good things i mean james cameron when he has time to really make a story to really control every aspect of the film he usually makes a very good film Mm -hmm. and so i'm hoping that means this will be good um i just don't know where we're gonna go with the story like, so Stephen Lane's character, who was the, the evil, uh, I guess, general, yeah, he was, yeah. it was Miles Quaritch. Uh, he's apparently supposed to come back. Oh, I mean, wow. Sigourney, I mean, Sigourney Weaver's character is supposed to come back, and they both died in the first Avatar. Wow. So I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do that. Um, yeah, mm. I mean, and I if they I do more, know. like, well, they do more forest magic. I mean, that was, I think, the weakest part of the first movie. Where it was like you can lay down at the super tree and you'll be transported into your 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 Navi body and deeper consciousness. Yeah, and I was like, all right, come on, like I get it, you know, you're an environmentalist. Can you can we get on with the story? But I hope, uh, I, I hope I'm not sniffing out a prequel here. You know, I I heard that there are shades of a prequel. Like I I just saw this two three minute video on IMDb, and it's talking about how they casted like child actors for a lot of these characters. Yeah, um, that's it. The only problem is that they can't really do it for Jake Sully's character because Jake Sully wasn't um, a Navi until he was he was yet a man, and so <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fun it's, though, isn't it? <laughs> that's the trick. But what, what they said was that. What this video said was that it's going to really explore the oceans of Pandora, which is the planet. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That really ties in to what James Cameron loves, which is the deep sea, which is the ocean. Um, so he knows he knows a thing or two about the sea and the ocean. Yes, and I think we can get – it made it sound like they're going to get a new race of people, like a new okay. species of aliens to deal with. So it will be some, some uh, well, interesting ways sounds- to do that. That sounds interesting. All of that. I didn't even. I didn't know much of that. That sounds great, actually. Um, and, no, it's, and it's, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think when as we kind of transition to the next Disney release property, yep. that sounds like it has a direction it's going in, and it's mm-hmm. got a world it can explore, which is not necessarily the case of the Star Wars films. <laughs> And I would have never thought that I would say that about Star Wars, but actually, actually, after Last Jedi, it kind of left everybody wondering, well, why didn't you end this pre? Why didn't you end this trilogy at two? Um, so they they just made an announcement that they have a release schedule of December 16, 2022, and then every other year they'll have a December release until 26. So. 
from 21, December of 21 to December of 27, you will have a Star Wars and Avatar film every December. That's what Disney's going to do to us. Right. Um, I didn't see. I know. I didn't see tons of info on what this trilogy will be about. I know in the past, Ryan Johnson, the widely acclaimed and derided director of Last Jedi, was granted access to a trilogy that was supposed to be based on the the, Repu- the old Republic. Uh, oh, I nice. don't. Yeah, I don't know if that is what this is or if they've pulled back on their commitment to Ryan Johnson and decided because it was so subversive and people were so out of their minds that they're no longer going to give him his Old Republic (laughs) trilogy. But did you see any info on this? Have you seen anything online that would give us an idea of what this trilogy could be about? So I haven't. I mean, I haven't really delved too much into the Star Wars. I'm kind of waiting to really do deep dives into the Star Wars um, plans. But when you say the Old Republic, it kind of perks my interest because there's a video game that came out called Knights of the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Um, the first one I think came out in like 2005 or 2004 or something like that. But it's widely acclaimed as one of the best role-playing video games of all time. And it's definitely one of my favorites. And people have been, especially video game fans and Star Wars fans, have been begging for a Knights of the Old Republic movie. Um, or TV show, or something. Mm-hmm. And a- after this trilogy of Star Wars films ends, they're, they will have set the stage. They will have fully brought back the Star Wars universe back into the mainstream, and they should be able to branch out and try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, th- there's rumors of like a show called The Mandalorian, which has to deal with the Mandalorians, which is essentially what Boba Fett was, and the same type of armor and all that stuff, and when this trilogy is over, they're going to need a new direction. And I don't want them to keep going forward. I essentially want them to go backwards. Mm-hmm. And what's tough is that with all these... The thing with Star Wars is that it has a so much non-canon lore that they could delve into if they really wanted to. Like, all those stories are there for them to, to, for them to just pick up and turn into a movie or a TV show. Mm-hmm. And they just had to choose one. And if they did that, they would have content for the next 25 years. Yeah. Um, and some as people for... that are real. Oh, oh go ahead. Uh, real fanatics of the Star Wars universe, <laughs> the ones that read all the books and get into all the all of that will tell you. And I think even Disney made this clear. It may have been. Um, I always forget her name. Kathleen Kennedy, I think, made mm-hmm. the statement that all of it's canon. So, like, that's where the traditional Star Wars... Star Wars is very unique in this way. Mm-hmm. The films have always been the canon. And yes. whereas, even with the MCU, your purists will say, well, that was a derivative of a comic book, and in the comic book, this is what happened. <laughs> but in the Star Wars universe, it's flipped. But in the extended universe of all these novels, and all these YA novels, a lot of very interesting things happen. I think that's what you're what you're alluding to. And actually, Last Jedi did not distort anything in those in that larger novel base. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what got the nostalgia folks all riled up because all those things already happened in the in these books <laughs> that they didn't read. <laughs> uh, but I I think I got into a rabbit hole there. So after the 
Okay, so Disney Plus is going to come out in November in the Mandalorian movie. Uh, well, I'm calling it a movie that's a, a streaming property will be on that streaming service. Mm-hmm. So people are really interested in that. Um, the lack of success of Solo had them pull back on a Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Solo movie. So that is kind of reshuffled. It's probably smart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to be honest I, with <laughs> I think I probably would have loved them, but at the same time, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. Well, like I didn't actually hate Han, Han Solo that much. Like it wasn't a horrible movie. I had I had fun with it. I guess is the best way to, to say it. However, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on Netflix or something or Amazon when it came out. So, yeah, I think if they if they all, if they want the blockbuster hits there, then yeah, it was probably a good idea not to do Obi Wan or not to do Boba Fett because those weren't gonna get the they th- those weren't gonna destroy the box offices. Those movies were are niche movies if anything. So it's probably best that they didn't make them or put them on their streaming service and make it a TV show instead. Yeah. Now what I'm reading, so this is this is a possible direction for the December 16, 2022 movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is off the website Den of Geek. You have the creators of Game of Thrones, David Benoff and Benoff, Benoff and Weiss. Yeah. Okay. I think it's so <laughs> They are working on a trilogy and so is last jedi director ryan johnson which we already mentioned yes so if you had the creators of game of thrones with creative control of a trilogy would that blow your mind um yes (laughs) because (laughs) i mean you're trying to think what's their next project going to be and i think a great step up is doing a star wars franchise because at least in the first i don't know five six seasons they really paid attention to the story, to the lore. They really took their time making these shows. However, those were shows. They got they they got sixty episodes, sixty hours to tell that story. If you try and condense it into a two hour story or a ninety minute story, maybe they're not as proficient. And I think it's actually showing in some of these last episodes, which I could talk about later. But basically, how. When you're asking them to condense the story and streamline it for like a movie, it things that do start to break down and you kind of get lost. Yeah, yeah. So I think it'll be interesting. They are definitely like beyond the rumor mill. It looks like they are really working. They've been working on material for a trilogy. So that's that's interesting. And they can explore. And this is going to be outside of what people think and what we're all speculating. And just so everybody knows, this is all speculation. We are not a news <laughs> podcast. Breaking um, news. Breaking just, news. Just in. Yeah, and as we talk about creators and everything else, uh, we try to do it respectfully, but we are just geeking out on it. We are not pretending to be news people or journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like they've been working on this um, for a little while, and it's not going to be connected to Skywalker story. That story is the nine movies that we are going to end in December with those nine movies. That's the Skywalker stuff uh, is what we think right now. Right. Cause they, well, probably... I mean, I really don't think they're going to be able to leave that franchise that story alone. Once it ends in December, I think Ray is way too much of a marketable, marketable character for them to just not do anything with her. Like there, it's just going to be too impossible. I think the end of this, of, I think the rise of Skywalker 
is going to show the end of sort of the original Star Wars cast. I think they're going to, because by the end, Leia is probably going to not be part of the, sh the movies anymore. And then all you're going to be left with from the old cast really is Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian. So mm -hmm. it's, that's when like the new generation really will take control. And that's, that, that's another trilogy of movies right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. They need to they need to to have a transition from the old to the new as we make a transition to a larger movie release schedule. How's that for a segue? Smooth. That was smooth. I loved it. Just so you know, on my treatment plan for today, I'm working on segues. So it's going to yep. be a little. When you take on a new skill, it's going to be clumsy at first. Um, so the next movie immediate movie coming out of course is godzilla and we already talked about it that ad nauseum in the last episode after that the next big movie is dark phoenix mm. and eric i can tell that you are just out of your mind with excitement for this film you have bought the t-shirts you've been talking to all your friends about it you maybe even have purchased advanced tickets for this or not tom i think you're talking about yourself okay. and that's totally fine <laughs> Um, I am not super hyped about the movie. It's <clears throat> another X-Men, um, first class film. It's starring Sansa Stark. Uh, I think her name's Sophie Turner. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's her name as the main character. She's Jean Grey, becomes Dark Phoenix, and it's the same cast of characters that we all know and love from the other movies. Um, I like the story. I like the idea of the Dark Phoenix the X-Men 3 didn't do it any justice. I don't expect this movie to be... I don't expect this movie to be mind-blowing. This movie is going to be fun. It's going to be... You go see this movie because you want to see a fun X-Men movie, not because you're looking for, like, jaw-dropping performances or something like that. But, I don't know. Are you more excited for it than I am, Tom? I am. And there's a couple of things the X-Men universe does very, very well that the rest of the Marvel universe contorts and struggles and twists ligaments beyond their capacity to do. And that is pull in a whole bunch of diverse characters with all kinds of interesting power sets and just dynamics between these characters and the potential for really good stories moving forward. I'm not saying that this movie is going to embody all of that um, is I think very high. And whenever the powered up level five mutants hit the screen and they, a lot of them reside in this X-Men universe. Mm -hmm. You're going to say if that character was around, Thanos would have lasted about 20 minutes on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> when Jean Grey powers up into the Phoenix force and she starts whipping around her energy, mm -hmm. you're going to be like, Oh, <laughs> And there's something about that. I love the the revelation of just unexplainable power on sight, on scene, you know, CGI and all. And if with Disney and Lucasfilm Magic or whatever the name of their CGI component of Disney is, when they start producing these films and reworking these films, the stories are going to connect, the visuals are going to be out of this world, and the characters are going to be incredible. And so I'm not going to say that this movie will do all of that, but it definitely has some long-term characters that people have spent a 
decade with. Mm-hmm. And you have some actors in there who have some street cred. And so there's a chance that this movie could be more interesting. I would be I wouldn't be shocked if people actually ended up liking this more than we think they will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still won't be a box office success. Um, yeah, it probably won't you know break any records. It probably won't yeah be a box office smash hit. It'll just be it's just a like it'll be in the same type of tone that all those X Men first class films are, which is just fun. Where it says, "Hey, we're we're rethinking the X Men story, and we just made films out of it. And you may like it, you may not like it, but here you go." Yeah. And it does it does have great performances by like Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy. They've always done a pretty darn good job of kind of doing that whole duality of that the that the mutant the X Men story is always so is always revolved around. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a lot of acting for Sophie Turner. I'm really hoping she can pull it off. <laughs> Um, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I, did, I don't hate her as an actor. She didn't do the best in season seven of Game of Thrones, and she didn't do the best in Apocalypse. I didn't, but I don't think anyone really did a good job in Apocalypse. Um, oh, Eric. I know. I'm a super Debbie Downer right now, and I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so why was I so geeked out over Apocalypse? <laughs> that's a good – because I, I think the idea of Apocalypse was pretty awesome. Um, you know, he's this all-powerful dude, and what's – I can't remember the the the, Isaac, the actor's name, but Isaac, he was um, something something Isaac. Oscar Isaac. <laughs> yeah, Oscar Isaac, I think. Yeah, like I mean, he did. A, I think he did a great job. Um, it was also funny, like when Pogles puts his hand on the TV and just goes learning. I was just like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> I wish they would consult some of us geeks and say we can just have a little button we can press it says no don't do that (laughs) That, that's one of them don't don't do that don't do that that. another thing you don't do is have it kind of seem like writers of the lost ark at the Mm -hmm. very beginning but miss like you can't miss on that (laughs) that's one of those problems you just can't okay don't do it (laughs) there's another thing they do and i did love this film it's gonna sound like i didn't it's like go on and on some of the uniforms were like, no, don't do it. Like that was 1970 to maybe low 80s. Don't do it. Don't do a 1980s version that. of that. <laughs> and I swear to God, if they bring Wolverine, Hugh Jackman back in Dark Phoenix, I'm gonna be pissed off. It's like, oh. leave that man alone. He said he's done with the character. You know what I want to see? I want to see him in a cameo. I want to see him yeah, loading no. up his little limousine. Just putting gas in it or something off to the side somewhere. <laughs> yeah, get, get the heck away from me. Maybe he lets out one of his little claws and scratches his back and then puts it in. <laughs> See, I'll give it to you. Actually, yes, if they did that, something like that, that'd be that'd be a good that'd be fun. I would if, enjoy that. If you saw that, if I saw that, that might actually make the entire movie for me. <laughs> uh, it's just tough because Wolverine's such a central character of the X-Men and to not have him in these films is kind of tough. And I don't know, maybe it gives him a chance to, to explore the other characters, but yeah, it's, it it is still suck. They don't have him and they can't use that sort of tough guy. I don't know. Character. I I don't know. It'll be, it's, it'll be fun to see. I think. Yeah. Well, well. after that, we don't have to spend millions of times of on this is, or bunches of time is going to be Spider-Man far from home. Mm-hmm. That is going to be the end of phase three. And basically it's going to be the emotional impact. And 
other impacts of the triple snap now. We've had three snaps. Thanos did one. Banner did two. I refuse to call that character the Hulk. And (laughs) Iron Man did the third snap. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Things happen. So we're going to be, I think that's going to open up a huge bunch of stories for the Marvel Universe. Not that they need any help or any anything from me to know how to creatively manage that. But I think that actually I'm more interested now after they showed us, you know, pretty much spoiled Endgame with the trailer for Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun. It, it, it looks like it'll be a fun movie. Like it's set, in, it's set in Europe, which is like, hey, when was the last time a superhero movie has been in Europe? And <coughs> Aquaman. It, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. It'll just be. I don't know what to say about it just yet. Um, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I wanted to see Mysterio if they were going to do a Spider-Man movie. Um, I love the first one. I love how grounded the first one actually was. How Homecoming was, where like it actually did feel like it was kind of like a high school movie with superheroes in it. Um, and so I'm really hoping that's kind of. I don't know, maybe not this film, because maybe they want to try something different, but it'll be interesting. I don't know. I, I guess I don't really have too many um, thoughts on it just yet. Yeah. So, like, from there, we have um, Joker, which we'll, we'll get in, into that. That's really going to be kind of a one-off, I think, origin story, going back to the Killing Joke, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Alan Moore story, and with some caveats, because you have to, right? When you make a movie, you want to put your creative stamp on it. Mm-hmm. After that, Birds of Prey comes out February 7, 2020. That is the Harley Quinn. Margot Robbie pretty much single-handedly made this film happen, (laughs) if you believe all the media outlets. (laughs) And that's going to be the Emancipation. There's a huge title there. The amazing or incredible Emancipation of Harley Quinn. And that's pretty much the post romance if you want to call it that with the joker mm-hmm. so that's going to be that i don't know that might be a film i'm going to skip to be honest i don't know that i see myself in the theaters for that Probably um, not in theaters just because it has a bunch of characters that we don't know it's kind of like the way they did the comic books where it's all these you know supporting characters all these ancillary characters and, the, and when you when you throw them together to make a movie to, to make their own story it's kind of hit or miss, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it has a Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ewan McGregor in it. So that's, I mean, those are two pretty strong actors. And so, I know, mm. maybe it will be a good movie. Actually, it might. Just, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and it's just, uh, yeah. I just don't know how many people, A, know it's coming out. And no one knows the characters outside of Harley Quinn, really. So that's going to be kind of tough to pull off just because of name recognition more than anything. Yeah. After that, we have a movie that we'll spend a little more time on because people don't know anything about it, which is Bloodshot, which mm. is coming out February 21, 2020. So people are like, who is Bloodshot? Well, I'm going to tell you who Bloodshot is. Are you ready, Eric? Please, I need, I need to know. Okay, so Bloodshot is one of the most popular characters in the 80 million comics selling Valiant Universe. So Valiant Comics is their own their own brand bloodshot has sold over 7 million comics in all languages bloodshot number one was much anticipated it was the most anticipated comic at the time 
sold about a million copies. So I'm going to need to tell you who is Bloodshot, right? Because we can't have this huge beast. And like, well, who is Bloodshot and why do I need to care about him? Bloodshot is a super soldier project created by the secret government organization Project Rising Spirit. Special nanites in his bloodstream give him a variety of powers, including the ability to recover from almost any trauma by consuming protein. The modern incarnation of Bloodshot is Ray Garrison. Um, Though to improve his efficiency, he was brainwashed with a number of implanted identities, allowing PRS, Project Rising Spirit, to give him personal motivations for every mission. His original purpose was to hunt down and capture the and assassinate. And they have a name here. I'm going to really... Pissiots or Pissiots. <laughs> so the bad guys are P-S-I-O-T-S. They need to change that name, though. You have to have a name that you can pronounce, or I probably need to be able to pronounce things better. Um, that I think there's evidence for that. I think if they do this right, it's just obscure enough and interesting enough to be interesting. Although if they do it wrong, it's going to fall into that abyss of movies that we've seen a million of. So yeah. So, <laughs> well, worst case scenario, I'm thinking Hellboy. Uh, what, yeah. what What was the last movie that just came out like last week? What was What was it called again? Oh, <laughs> I can't remember. Exactly. I legit can't remember what it's like. Hellboy did something. All um, right. I have no idea. Yeah. Like it's pretty sad. Um, it's actually a, a really good idea. It's sounding like two different video games that I've played. So there's this video game called Crisis which came out, well, there's like three of them, I think. Um, God, the first one must have came out, it was November of 2007, in which it was a man, it's a soldier in a, like a nanite super suit, and he, he, he can make him super fast, he can make himself bullet resistant, heal all wounds super fast. And it's it's sounding a lot like that, but on top of that, it, it also kind of sounded like some vibes of the first Metal Gear Solid video game that came off the PlayStation back in, must have been 2000. Or something like that. Yeah. And those are two very fun games. So if this movie's anything like that, this is going to be a really fun movie. And yeah. it says Vin Diesel is going to be Bloodshot. Like, yeah. Really? <laughs> is he a little old to play a superhero at this point? But um, but no, like I mean, he's a fine actor. So whatever. So sure, why not? Let's well, let's, do, let's do obscure movies. Yeah. <laughs> now, the biggest character, because I know everybody listening to this is dying to know, well, who is the biggest character in Valiant Comics, right? Mm-hmm. It's a character called X.O. Man of War. So mm-hmm. that is kind of the biggest one. Some other characters in the Valiant universe, Ninjak. I feel like I've heard that name before. I feel like I have too. Um, Eternal Warrior, Harbinger. Wait a minute. Harbinger, Harbinger is another famous character in that Valiant universe. Is Harbinger more popular than Exo Man of War? Potentially. Ray, Archer and Armstrong, Shadow Man. And so they kind of play off a lot of those similar themes. You have mm-hmm. ninja, fighting, magic, nanite enhanced, ultra amazing people running around. So that's pretty interesting. Um just because of time, we're not going to go down this entire list anymore yeah, right. <laughs> because we need to get to Game of Thrones. But I will give a plug that the most interesting movie after Spider-Man Far From Home is probably Wonder Woman, June 5th, mm-hmm. 2020. 
Wonder Woman 1984, Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot. I firmly believe that will be the slammest of dunks. And that will be the next amazing DC film in my world. Yeah, I don't. I, I think even if it's not the best movie, it's still going to win the box office. And it'll be fun. Um, it, it'll be, it's, what a first one was great. I just, the, the one thing I'm thinking of is how are they going to do a love story? if they do try to do like a romantic part of this movie, when Steve, who I can't remember his last name, when he's yeah. uh, When he was still clearly um, impacting her emotionally in the justice league movies. So they definitely heavily implied that he's really the only guy that's ever like gotten Mm -hmm. that close to her. So maybe they'll find a better way to do it. Maybe more of like a, I don't want to say buddy cop film, but um, you know, something like that. She's dated Superman too, or, or Batman or somebody. Um, you see, Trevor. See, I believe that they are going to take everything that happened in Justice League. They've already done this, mm-hmm. and they take a big old whatever rag. They get it wet and they just wipe it clean. <laughs> <laughs> it basically is a continuity that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, Aquaman kind of reaffirmed that for me, anyway. So I think they're going to not be too tied. Oh, never mind. Well, no. Yeah. So Justice League, she's supposed to be upset because of Steve Trevor's death and blah, blah, blah. But in the Wonder Woman itself, the movie Wonder Woman, it was a little obscure. He could have jumped out and parachuted to safety. I'm hoping that they just go with that. Just go with that. I swear to God, if Steve's alive, I just, I I, I can't, I can't even right now, if that's true. Uh, uh, You know what? It's happening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I've done a lot of predictions on this, story, on this mm-hmm. podcast, but I would be surprised if Steve Trevor is not back in the fold. Or I maybe gotta, it's... Go ahead. Yeah, if he's back, I mean, I guess that's that's that would be a, an easy way to bring him back into the story and actually give her another character to play off of like they did in the first one. I just think it'll be interesting to see where they go with the sequel because the first Wonder Woman was such a well-contained story of you know, a coming of age superhero where she has to learn that there is gray areas in the right. And, you know, but it's not just good and bad. There's gray and not one single power, powerful force in Aries is going to cause is causing all the human war and misery, even though they kind of backtrack that at the very end of the movie. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm really hoping they can hit another uh, home run with that one. Um, but it'll probably make all the money when it comes out, regardless of how good it is. Yeah. And the last plug, it's no longer a preview because it was released, I think, over the weekend here, <laughs> is uh, John Wick 3, um, which is the story of John Wick, who, after gunning down a member of the high table, the shadowy International Assassin's Guild, legendary hitman John Wick finds himself stripped of the organization's protective services. Mm-hmm. Now stuck with $14 million in bounty on his head, Wick must fight his way through the streets of New York as he becomes the target of the world's most ruthless killer. It's getting a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so I'm like, well, who are who are these Rotten Tomato folks? Seriously. I'm like, how could, with, that with, premise, with that premise, I can understand it being good, but not 97%. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I would agree. I can't ima- I can't believe that it's that good. Um, it probably won't be that good. I mean, it can't be. 
Well, Avengers Endgame got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And as much as I enjoyed that movie, as amazing as it was, I don't think it quite deserved a 97. Um, it's going to be fun. It's like... It's like it's like a you know a murdering violent opera of a movie. That's what it seems like from the from the trailers or from the last two movies. And I think that's what people like about it. It's, it's Keanu Reeves being you know doing his best just assassin impersonation. It's having like beautiful aesthetics, beautiful uh, choreography with the fights. Just him using killing people in just new and um, interesting ways. I. I am excited about this film. It'll be interesting. Uh, it looks like the her his um, I guess side the secondary character is Halle Berry, who is making appearance after her six year hiatus from films. And it's John Wick movies aren't going to end until John Wick dies. So the question is: is are they going to kill him in this movie or not? And I'll be interested to see if they actually get if they actually manage to finally kill John Wick, yep. or if he has to kill himself. Yeah. That's pretty much the John Wick in in a nutshell. So we'll transition on from there so we have enough time to get to a good discussion about Game of Thrones. Uh, last thing leading up to Game of Thrones is Endgame box office update. Mm -hmm. It is at $660 million domestically and $2.3 billion worldwide. Where does that stand, right, Eric? Mm -hmm. So a week ago, it was about $200 million ahead of Force Awakens pace wise however it's only nine million dollars against force uh, ahead of force awakens now mm -hmm. so force awakens had 651 million dollars at 14 days and this has 660 million dollars and this is domestic <laughs> so i don't know if that's a trend i don't know if it'll slow down if it continues to decrease in pace at its current pace it's not going to defeat force awakens um but if it levels off and it stays at that pace it still is outpacing force awakens however worldwide it is doing it's already the second biggest film of all time behind avatar mm. so it's pretty it's it's still doing really well right i mean yeah it's it's kind of funny because you're saying it's made 2.3 billion dollars and it's but it's like, but it's a, it might be considered a failure to some people if it doesn't get the box office record, um, which I can understand that. But I think maybe it's just a different, because it's a different time, you know, yeah. we're, we're in such a streaming culture where, you know, you go see something and it's like, oh, cool. I really enjoyed that. And then it's on to the next thing. And then it's on to the next thing. Um, maybe I, I still think it's going to beat it probably uh, as long it, as long as it stays in theaters for at least a couple more weeks. Um if I'm not mistaken, Avatar, though, was in theaters for, like, um, months. Um, so that's going to be kind of hard to beat that showing when you have all these other movies that are also coming out. They also do re-releases, too. Like, they did that with Star Wars. They did that with Titanic. Like, Titanic is weird. I know people are really interested in this next rabbit <laughs> hole I'm heading towards. And <laughs> my brain is trying to stop me from going there, but I'm going anyway. Um, Titanic, I don't think, ever made more than 25 to 30 million dollars a single weekend hmm. it was just number one for like 20 weekends in a row Jeez. it just kept on making 25 million dollars every weekend <laughs> for a year <laughs> oh, well. so if you go and look at the record books you're like 
15 weekends out, Titanic, 16, Titanic, 17, Titanic, 20, Titanic. That's what you'll see. It's, it's well, the thing is, like, I don't want to see Endgame in theaters like three, four months from now. I want it on streaming or on DVD so I can watch it as many times as I want. Yeah. You know, it's that's, I think, what might kill it is that they got to get it to the viewer and their homes at some point because then it's encroaching on these other films like Spider-Man, which comes out in two months. And they, they have a schedule. They have to, you know, this this Marvel thing, it's, it's a train, and they just got to keep it on time. It has to hit every stop, and they can't – they've already made $2.3 billion. Like, yeah. take it take it and be happy. Don't yeah. You don't have to chase the record. Yeah, they could – actually, they're kind of well within range. That Avatar, $2.78 billion. So it really needs to make another $500 million, which I think it will easily – I, so I think it's gonna it's gonna defeat it. Um, that'll be my prediction. So without any further ado, we're going to transition into Got Game of Thrones season eight episode four. Eric, take us away. So season eight episode four episode is called "Long Live the Starks," and it really interesting to mark how little of the Starks are actually in the story. It, um, I gotta say, I'm pretty mixed on this episode. It, it wasn't the best. It really fell back into some of the bad habits that happened in the seventh season in which people would jump from different spots on the map within, you know, the matter, like the next scene, they'd be one scene, they're in Winterfell and the next scene, they're on the other part of the, of Westeros and they're already at Dragonstone. Um, some of the decision-making of the characters was interesting uh, and just doesn't, it's not that it doesn't make sense. I think all the decisions that were made in the story made sense. I think the problem was, I can see why they did that. I just didn't agree with the choice. And so one of it is they had Rhaegal, who is one of the two dragons left alive. They killed him. They killed him unceremoniously. In fact, it was more, it was more of like a, like a, like a horror movie, like, like jump scare more than anything. And it was pretty cheap. And the reason they did it was because they wanted to even the playing field for the upcoming battle, which is between Cersei and her Lannister army at King's Landing versus the combined weakened forces of Jon John Snow or Aegon Targaryen, however you want to see it now, and Daenerys Targaryen. Which, so in that sense, I understand why they did that. They killed Rhaegal so that they can make it a more even battle so that they could show that they have these things called scorpion ballistas can actually kill a dragon, even though in dragons are supposed to be almost impervious to damage, but whatever. (laughs) I guess guess they just don't care. I guess they just don't care about that. Um, So it's, it's going to make it a a really interesting battle. Um, The other big story kind of is that ever since Jon Snow figured out that he is Aegon Targaryen, who is, the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. He's he should be. He has the the best claim to be the king of the of all of Westeros. Um, there is a fight between him and Daenerys, who they're actually in love, and she's just like, you can't tell anybody. And he's like, okay, but I'm gonna tell my family. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you can't tell anybody, or else you're gonna end up. We're gonna end up having to kill each other. And he goes, I understand. Okay, but I'm gonna tell my family. And 
So then he tells his family, and naturally Sansa Stark, who is becoming the real power player in this in in this story, she uses that information to tell Tyrion, who then tells Varys, who then tells who God knows who else. And that's when that was probably when the show was at its best. The episode was at its best because it really got back to what made the show great. In the second season, Tyrion was the Hand of the King, which is essentially like, eh, he's not the president, but he is the person basically running the day-to-day activities. He's the one really running the kingdom. Him and Varys were both essentially running the kingdom together while uh, Joffrey Baratheon was just being a sycophant and just murdering people off to the side. Um, But the conversations they had about how they would outsmart people, the politics of a decision, whether or not they want to believe... And in these conversations, they're actively discussing betraying Daenerys and trying to get Jon on the throne and whether or not that's a good idea. And it's really, those are pretty compelling arguments. And it's like, what's more important, having one good ruler or, or, or trying to do what's best for what you think is the realm? What is the realm? Like, how do you serve the realm when it's this am- giant amalgamation of people that all have different needs? Um, but I digress. Uh, some of this, like going back to it, some of the decisions they made were not the best. Mm-hmm. They, they killed Missandei, which I will never forgive them. That was heartbreaking. And the way they did it was so cheap. Mm-hmm. It was Daenerys and her army and her, are on a, are on a fleet of ships and they're, 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 in, they're almost an open ocean and they're caught completely by surprise by Euron Greyjoy's Iron Fleet, um, and they're destroyed within minutes. And they somehow kill everybody, leave the most important characters to go onto the beach, even though there's only like five of them left, yet they somehow capture Missandei and keep her alive. When it's like, if they literally just rode over to Dragonstone, they could have killed Tyrion, they could have killed Varys, they could have killed all these important characters, and essentially effectively would have won the war that way but instead they allowed this final showdown at the gates of king's landing in which Tyrion lannister is begging cersei lannister to surrender to think of her unborn child um which you knew she wasn't going to listen to him you knew that she was going to kill missande and then i don't know why she didn't just kill them all right there but i guess that leads us into predictions for the next episode which is tomorrow night <clears throat> I um I honestly don't know what's going to happen. Like this story could branch off into so many different directions that it's almost impossible to say. So Jon Snow is going to is going to show up. It's going to be a giant battle. It's another hour and a half long episode. It's directed by Miguel Sapochnik who did um the the battle against uh the White Walkers and the last episode in episode three. So who's going to live, who's going to die is really what it's all about. Who's going to sit on the iron throne. I, per- Jamie Lannister is now coming back. That hurt his whole story thing with Bran was kind of lame where he basically just stood her up and, you know, slept with her and then ran back to Cersei. So that was kind of, that was just cheap fan service. I think more than anything. Um, I don't know. I think, if you really had to ask me what's going to happen, 
I think that Cersei's dead. I don't think there's there's almost no scenario where Cersei stays alive. I think that Daenerys and Jon are going to end up having to fight each other in some way. And I think Jon's going to have to kill Daenerys. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, just because he needs to be the one who lives. Because as a friend pointed out to me yesterday, he's already died once. And when a character has already died, you get all that emotional reaction out of it. And when you kill him again, it's just not the same reaction. And what the showrunners want, what D.B. Weiss and, or, yeah, and Benioff want, is that emotional shock impact. That decision that shocks you, that leaves you confused and sad. And I think having to kill Daenerys is probably the most shocking choice they could make. Even though a lot of people are predicting it, it would still be incredibly shocking to see. As to who will actually rule on the Iron Throne at the end, there's a lot of theories. There's theories that it'll be Daenerys, it'll be Jon, it'll be Tyrion, it'll be Sansa. I think the smart money is on Sansa right now. Because she seems to be the smartest person in the room. She's the most powerful. She knows how to manipulate people, how to manipulate information. Um, and she's also safely in Winterfell. So I don't know exactly how they're going to get to her just yet. Um, yeah, it's it's finally coming to an end. I think I think what the one thing I I know about this last episode is that it's going to be the climax. Is that pretty much all of the storylines are going to be completed and or. Um, just finished at the end of this. Right. And I think that the episode six is going to be a, um, an epilogue more than anything. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that it's only 90 minutes long. How are you going to fit all of this story into a 90 minute episode? Mm-hmm. And that gets back to something I figured out was a problem with the last season and this season is that this, these are the first episodes where they stray away from the books, where they actually outlive the books that George R. R. Martin made. So what makes the Game of Thrones show, I think, so great is that they could kind of slim down the story and show you parts of it because in the end, you knew the backstory to a lot of these characters that they're showing on the show. Like, Beric Dondarrion's a great one where, like, you know what happened to him and then when they bring him back in season... Uh, I think it was season three and... He actually, like, you know who he is from the books. So he actually has some lore, and he actually has some, what do you call it, uh, backstory that you don't know about in this, just in the show. And they haven't had that the last two seasons. They've had to do it on their own, so that it seems lighter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't It doesn't seem as deep of a story. as deep, the, the lore doesn't go very deep in order to make these these choices that they make on the show that emotionally impactful, at least for me. And so I think that's been a real problem in the last two seasons. But having said that, it's still going to be amazing. I'm still going to love it. Um, I can't wait. It's almost over and (laughs) it's going to be, it's going to be insane. That's all I'm going to say. King's Landing is going to burn. I want, I want Daenerys to just kill everybody in King's Landing now. Like I don't care anymore she's been trying to find a peaceful resolution to like because she wants to be a different kind of ruler but she's lost two dragons they killed missandei i don't care anymore just kill everybody like burn it all down and when everything's ash that's when you rebuild your the type of the type of kingdom that you want that's what i think she needs to do that's what i think she will do 
And I think it's why she's going to die. Because she's going to become the Mad Queen, essentially. Even though she's not mad. That's the thing. The show is trying to pit her out to be the Mad Queen, which is like kind of like the insane psychopath queen that her... Uh, I think it was her father or her grandfather was, wherever uh, the Mad King Ares was. But the thing is, is that the things that happen to her, she's not mad. She's not crazy. Like, she's angry and frustrated. Mm-hmm. And... They try and make it out like that she has this vengeful wrath that can't be contained. It's like, no, any good ruler would be, would be making a lot of the same decisions she made. And it's just, if they're going to try and make her out to be the Mad Queen, I think they've failed at it. If they try and make it a different type of uh, queen, that's that's fine. Then that's fine. I just don't like if that's the choice that they're going to try and make or the story yeah. they're going to try and make for her. Yeah, well, that, so that's that, that's my Game of Thrones episode four review. Yeah, that sounds really, really in depth, and it almost feels like if you want to jump in on this stuff, you have to do the deep dive, right? Because you got to go, you got to go back and and rewatch or watch a lot of this stuff to catch up. But that just sounds like it's really interesting, and it's having a pretty significant payoff for fans. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like Avengers Endgame where. If you didn't see every other Marvel film, you have no idea what's going on in Endgame. You don't you don't get any of those payoffs in the movie in the same way in the show. You don't get like the this season has been mostly reunions more than anything, where it's this character hasn't seen this character in a long time. And like one of the best conversations was between Sansa Stark and the Hound, who is um Clegane, uh, I can't remember his first name. Um they had like a pretty good story arc in the first two seasons. And then they haven't met each other. So you're thinking it's been six seasons that they haven't talked to each other. And it's like they have like a two-minute conversation. And it's like amazing. It, it's, it's, emo- it's so emotionally impactful. And that's what made has so far made this season amazing. And it's why it's such a good payoff for people who have watched and followed this show and these books for so long. Awesome. So as we kind of transition to the end, and we'll take this, we'll take this to the end. So people who are listening to this will have a review of episode five next week. Ooh. And then episode, I think our episode six, we might have to carve a little more time in the outline so that you can kind of digest the whole string versus just episode six. Yeah, just to kind of see how it ties everything into an, if it ties everything into a neat bow, if it really does the story justice. I have, I'm also probably gonna be emotional wrecked that whole week because there's gonna be this, <laughs> this hole in my heart, this void in my life that I need to fill with something else. Yeah. So because Game of Thrones will be done, so yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll just run it back and watch all the seasons over again in like two days. Yeah. So as we transition towards the close of the show, is there anything outside of the of Game of Thrones? Is there anything you're looking forward to this next week that's either coming out on streaming services or a movie you're looking forward to seeing? Um, I mean, Detective Pikachu came out. I have some interest. I'm, I mean, I grew up with the Pokemon fad, so it does interest me a bit. Um, I don't know. I'm probably not going to see it in theaters, though. I'll probably wait till it comes out on DVD just because I don't feel like going to putting in the effort to go see a movie in the theaters right now. Yeah. But that's kind of it right now. I should, I'll pro- I should probably go see John Wick 3, though, because it's yeah. probably going to be an amazing film. We probably need to see that so we can review it, right? <laughs> it's probably a good idea, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's doing really well. There, I mean, doing uh, obviously, Rotten Tomatoes has it rated really high. There's there's some things that are releasing, and I used to get a lot of, of uh, 
backlash for this, but I am actually a fan of the CWDC universe. <laughs> mm. Oh, it's kind of like, why do I like Apocalypse, uh, X-Men Apocalypse? Why do I like the CWDC? Well, I like it. Um, <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow Season 4 and Supergirl Season 4. Nice. Of those two, Supergirl Season 4 is coming out on Netflix probably sometime in May, and I love the Supergirl CW stuff. It's really interesting to me. Um, so I'll be looking forward to to watching that when that drops. Other than that, I'm kind of bracing myself. I'll try and make it out to John Wick 3, but um, Godzilla is kind of the next big movie I'm kind of gearing mm-hmm. up for. we got a couple weeks for that one, yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, any final words of wisdom before we pull the plug? No, you know, I think uh, just enjoy that. Um, there's some... Two game sevens tomorrow night for the NBA playoffs, so that's going to be exciting tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to have to, it's going to split, it's going to go right in between Game of Thrones, so I'm going to have to stop to watch Game of Thrones. But I'm very excited about who wins those games. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, for now and until next time, this has been episode 77 oh, of man. Heroes Garage. I know we're working our way. Uh, towards episode 100 we'll have to kind of put some plans together to make that a special episode but for now and until next time so long